Hello, pod pals. Welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I am your host, Nicole Davis. In the words of Shania Twain, looks like we made it. This is the season three finale and the final episode of 2020, which means it's almost Best Girl Grip's second birthday. So lots to celebrate, even though I'm feeling more exhausted than jubilant right at this moment. But I do want to take a moment to thank all my guests that have come on the podcast this year. Among the roles we've featured, we've had an editor, cinematographer, costume designers, casting directors, a composer, a production designer, a talent agent, film critics, a sound designer, a clapper loader, a key grip, a programmer, a development exec, founders, marketeers and managing directors. I've learned so much and in a year where seeing people and staying in touch has been so hard, it's provided me with a much needed sense of connection to the film industry and the people working tirelessly within it. And I hope it's done that for you too. I will be back next year with season four and recording is already underway with that, so it shouldn't be too long a wait. In the meantime, I'm hugely excited to introduce my guest for this episode. It is none other than Emily Morgan, a BAFTA-winning film producer whom I admire greatly. Emily started out in distribution and as a production freelancer for various companies before setting up her own production outfit, Quiddity Films, which is supported by a BFI Vision Award. In 2018, she won the aforementioned BAFTA for Outstanding Debut Producer from Garno Nioni's I'm Not a Witch, which premiered at Cannes, screened at the Toronto Film Festival and Sundance, was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award and won three Biffers. Emily has since produced Claire Oakley's feature debut Makeup, which is currently available to watch on BBC iPlayer. She also produced Harry McQueen's second feature, Supernova, which premiered at LFF in October and is due for release on the 5th of March next year, as it currently stands. The film stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth as long-term partners grappling with a diagnosis of early-onset dementia. Emily is a graduate of the NFTS, a member of Ace Producers. She was featured as a screen star of Tomorrow in 2015, and most recently, Quiddity Films was selected as one of the UK's top emerging production companies in Screen Daily's Brit 50 list. So I hope that provides some context as to why I was so thrilled to speak with Emily. We spoke about her experiences at NFTS, how she worked her way towards producing features, how the BFI Vision Award impacted her company and its future, what she looks for in collaborators and material, and what she's learned about producing in her prestigious career thus far. As always, I hope you find it useful and insightful. I hope wherever you are and however you're spending Christmas, you're taking care of yourselves, and I look forward to bringing more episodes to you in 2021. For now, this is episode 75 of Best Girl Grip. I guess I always like to start by getting a sense of where you went to university, if you did, and what you studied there. Uh, Yeah, so I studied Spanish and Portuguese at Leeds University. And did you have a sense of a career that you wanted to pursue? Were you looking to get into languages after university? So what I knew was that I loved languages and I loved film and so and traveling and and I picked actually that course at Leeds because the modules were quite film based. So there was going to be and and literature as well, actually. But yeah, they had a really good film part of the Spanish and Portuguese BA. So that's why I picked it. 
And I've heard it being said actually from someone else that studied languages that they actually then found that quite helpful when getting work afterwards, just because it is quite a rare skill. Um, so it's obviously something quite you know useful to have on your CV and to tell that you're you can speak multiple languages, particularly in film when it's such an international business. Did you find it helpful when looking for work in the film industry? Yeah, it's definitely been incredibly helpful. And it was my dream really to mix filmmaking with my languages. Um, and so when I finally did get a job working on a project in Brazil, that was sort of, yeah, the dream come true. Was that your first official job in film? Or were you working elsewhere beforehand? You know, what do you consider to be your, yeah, your first role in the film industry? My first paid job in film was at a television company um, as an edit runner, because mm. originally I actually um, thought I wanted to be an editor. So oh wow! The, okay, the route I was taking. Yeah. So when I was at university, I just knew I loved film, films, and I'd always sort of been obsessed from a very young age mm. um, with my VHS collection of recording films <laughs> of the TV, um, with the Radio Times as my guide um, from like a really young age. And but I didn't know anything about what job that might lead to. It was sort of a passion, and uh, my mum was a doctor, and my dad was a vicar, so I certainly didn't come to from a family of filmmakers Mm. or anything so yeah I just knew I loved it and then as I said did that degree which would focus on film studies really and then started to work out if it could really you know if there could be a job for me within Mm. it and then learned about editing and I thought that seemed like the ideal route for me which then obviously evolved over the years. So at what point did you move away from editing and at what point did you learn about producing and start to think that that might be a better fit? Well, I think people were telling me it would be a better fit even before I knew it or even really knew what the role would entail. I did like a summer filmmaking course at one point. I think it was just after I'd left university and we all had to make our own short that we, you know, produced, directed, edited, wrote all of it. And I think I managed to hustle some location that apparently you know hadn't been able to get before and then I remember someone saying you're going to produce my next short and I was like no no I'm an editor I'm an editor I'm not a producer people were kind of telling me and then yeah as the years went on I I did move over to that role after actually I worked in distribution for a bit and then wanting to be sort of on the creative side as the well as the practical side more heavily you know involved in development and so Mm. all of it through various different roles led to me saying actually I'd like to be a start to finish producer on feature films and that's where I am now. I mean you you mentioned that you you produced a short and you've you know you've got a lot of short films on your um, IMDB page and I'm wondering how you started creating those opportunities for yourself and kind of putting yourself out there by saying you know I'm a short film producer because that's quite a legitimate thing as well you know and and lots of people look for short film producers so you know did was that quite a big step for you did you feel like to say you know I am that and I can do that for you? No I mean it started out with a few kind of lucky breaks in a way where people were willing to give me a try on their short film so um, I met actually initially I met a music videos director called Henry Schofield Mm. who and that was while I was working in distribution I was a receptionist at Optimum Releasing that then became Studio Canal um, for a couple of years and then their servicing assistant so it was while I was working there that I met Henry and he was actually an animation producer I think and then he was doing these music videos in his spare time and he basically gave me a chance to produce one of them 
And so that was really the beginning. And then I think I also was a member of Shooting People. And yes. so a guy um, called Darren Charland, he was advertising on there, wanting to make his first short film as a director and he'd written it. And we met and again, he just sort of gave me a chance to try my hand at producing on his short. And, you know, we were both new to it. So it was, so yeah, just with other people who were starting out, writer directors mm. I got a chance to start producing and then I met Claire Oakley my kind of long-term collaborator um, and we started doing shorts together as well but it became apparent quite quickly that short film funding was very hard to find and I was also aware of the NFTS mm. and I yeah ultimately thought it would be a really great way to make a yeah a load of short films across a couple of years and have facilities to do it and I could spend those few years trying to find money for one short film, you know, and so right. if I could somehow, you know, find the way financially to go to the NFTS, that it would be a, a perfect way to also focus on the creative side of mm. my filmmaking and, and my sensibility for the films I want to make in the future. So that was an amazing couple of years. And so did you go back to school? Did you go back to the NFTS after having had, you know, that work in production and distribution? Yeah, totally. So I um, graduated from Leeds and then had yeah, a good few years in the industry. Um, and I was really starting out as a yeah, production assistant, production coordinator by then. Right. I met um, an amazing producer, line producer called Rachel Dargavel, who kind of took me under her wing and we on to yeah, different commercials, music videos. And then she took me on to Weekend, actually, um, Andrew Haig's film as a right. production coordinator. Um, but it was around then that I applied to the NFTS and yeah, and got the place. And so it was a dilemma at first, actually, of wow, you know, having these amazing opportunities working in production already. Mm. And do I continue with that? Or but it was really the the pull of making my own short films and um, the opportunities I thought I'd have there to also even start potentially developing feature films within that kind of NFTS bubble that that appeared. Mm. And do you feel like it did prepare you to kind of move into producing features? You know, did you come out of the master's sort of ready to jump into that world? I mean, I don't think anything could have prepared me for my first (laughs) feature, (laughs) apart from just giving it a go. But no, what is amazing about that master's is it really gives you an overview of the whole, the industry, the different parts of producing. As I say, you get a chance to kind of go deep on your own thoughts about the kind of things you actually want to make and obviously the practical side of producing shorts is always a good training ground and so yeah and the the legal side of it that that gets explored on the course is is brilliant as well but yeah ultimately you know it's it's, it's, it was a real bonus to have all that that previous knowledge but really going out there doing it being on the ground is where I you know ultimately it all cements (laughs) yeah absolutely and I mean I do want to come on to talking um in depth about I'm not a witch and and that process um because I think you know it's a film that's really been embraced by the filmmaking community as just a standout first feature but you mentioned the legal there and I'm wondering at what point you set up your company Quiddity Films and how you went about doing that I actually set it up in 2011 when I was making physics the first short film I did with Claire Mm. and I mean it was just to sort of have the administrative you know to be able to get an insurance policy and claim back the VAT and and all of that so that but I I had I'm still at the NFTS but I was 
I think I'd been one, you know, I knew at some point I would set up a company. And the thing that held me back for a while actually was thinking of a name. <laughs> um, but eventually I came across the word quiddity. And, and did that formalization process kind of cement for you that you were kind of on this path now? You know, did it did that feel like a bit of a graduation in a sense or, you know, that was strictly kind of business um, and you already felt like a producer? I think I knew I was on that path and setting up the company. Yeah, that very moment probably felt more like admin for the shorts. Um, but I'd say what really cemented the company actually was more so was when I got the BFI Vision Award in 2016 because that really felt like I had some resource within mm. the company in it and was able to work through the company exclusively. And so the Vision Award for people that don't know is kind of like investment from the British Film Institute that kind of helps younger independent producers flourish. And I'm wondering how that changed your vision or your plan for the future of the company. You know, how are you starting to kind of use that investment? When I got the BFI Vision Award, it felt like I could, I think one of the things I was able to do was formalise the projects I was working on with putting legals in place, which I suddenly had some budget to pay for. It really enabled me to kind of officialize those relationships with a writer's contract or actually pay for treatment that we were developing together or, yeah, so it was really useful in that sense. Everything felt like it became a bit more official. And I I actually found the quarterly reporting really useful as well because it sort of gave a structure because I'm only Mm. accountable to myself Um, suddenly I had to quarterly have a meeting with the exec Mary Burke who's my mentor on it and and write a written report of what had happened in the past quarter and what was going to happen in the next and actually found that very useful and financial reporting as well I guess it gives you momentum as well because that's often the hard thing maybe about producing is that you're sort of you can develop something so far but then maybe you're waiting for like permission or money to come in whereas yeah maybe you've got that flow a bit more when you know that it's it's already there. Yeah no totally and I felt that I I suddenly felt quite sure that the next thing to go into production could be a film that I developed and had the support to support my, you know was able to support myself through that development mm. process. Because it really makes such a huge difference developing when you're actually having daytimes to do it and not having to do production work right. or other work during the day to pay the bills and then, you know, reading and doing your other development work out of those hours. And I think that's a distinction that maybe sometimes gets forgotten about, you know, producers are envisaged as these people that kind of come on to run the production so I'm wondering if you could offer your take on why it's important to be part of the development process and why you enjoy that part of it as much as you do the kind of the production and the filming element I mean I always think as a producer especially you know and in development especially you're sort of the first audience member really so you're fresh eyes on something that somebody is so <laughs> engrossed in and, and working on around the clock and having that fresh perspective can be really useful and also a safe perspective because you're fully invested in the project. Mm. Obviously, this is when you have the best possible working relationship with a, with a writer, that there is that, that back and forth and that sort of freedom of communication and sharing at any point that's useful and And then you had a co-producer credit and associate producer credits, but I think your first official feature was Rangana Nioni's I Am Not A Witch. And I'm wondering if you can recall the first time that you came across that script and why you felt like it was something that you just had to be involved in. 
Um, yeah, so I knew about the project for quite some years because I'd been, um, I'd worked with Rungano. She was a, a writer on one of my NFTS short films, oh, actually, cool. The Massive Men. So I was aware of it and I think I hadn't read it though for years and I just always thought it sounded like an incredible idea and really chimed with yeah my own taste in in film and then when I eventually did read the script I just I thought it was extraordinary and spectacular and something I was just so excited to be involved in both in terms of how much I admired her and her vision for it and then what was literally you know on the page in terms of the story and then the way uh, you know the challenge I was going to have to set up the production in Zambia and um, with money coming from different places so you know it was my dream as I said to produce things abroad and co-produce and so it, it was a yeah it was a perfect project for me. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned there that obviously the different funding streams, it's an international co-production, you're filming in Zambia and it's not spoken in the English language. So, I mean, what was that experience like? You know, did it, did it really feel like you'd, you jumped in kind of at the deep end? Uh, yeah, it was definitely a baptism of fire in terms of the first feature, but one that I'll always be, yeah, incredibly proud to have been part of. Yeah, it was just a, a lot of a lot of things that logistically, legally in terms of closing the film, especially because I was doing it for the first time and trying to set up a production infrastructure in a country that doesn't have a, you know, an, an industry, say like we do in the UK. Mm. So we were having to really um, start from scratch there. But then that also felt amazing and rewarding that we were sort of trailblazing. And you mentioned earlier that you had a mentor in Mary Burke at the BFI. Um, and I'm wondering if you had anyone else whose expertise you saw, you know, when going through that kind of first producing experience. Yeah, well, it was um, Mary Burke was the exec on it from BFI and then Eva Yates um, from Film 4. And they were both, yeah, my rocks throughout the whole process, actually, along with Eve Gabro, who um, mm. when I was first starting the project, I was um, in-house at Soda Pictures, my first job in Brazil uh, was thanks to Eve, a, a project with a, an artist called Mark Lewis that she was producing there and she needed a production manager to go and be on the ground and actually my role on the project evolved and I ended up that's one of my co-producer credits um, and I ended up staying in-house at Soda Pictures because Eve was continue, uh, keen to continue doing more um, mm. production so that's actually where I'm not a witch started and Eve's an exec on the project as well and was yeah a complete support um, throughout the process too and into distribution as well which of course is her background and and it sounds like you know all your different roles across the industry have like somehow come back to kind of be of use or you know you are making contacts and I'm wondering if it felt like that at the time or only with hindsight did you see how kind of maybe useful having all that different um, experience across the industry has helped? Yeah I mean definitely when I had my first job in the machine room digitizing <laughs> rushes in a sort of room with all these machines and no windows when I was starting out and I did wonder <laughs> this, how is this all going to evolve and actually, all those tape formats are completely redundant now. So maybe it wasn't so useful. But no, the principles of post-production and everything I learned through those times has, has definitely fed in. And also, at every point, I've been doing something that at that, that, that moment felt like it was the right thing to be doing. So maybe I haven't tended to look at the bigger picture 
as much as I could have done. Definitely moving forward now, I try to be a bit more strategic and mm. bigger picture about things. And you mentioned that when you read um, Rangano's script that it kind of fit in with your taste. And I'm wondering, you know, how you developed your taste? You know, were you just kind of watching lots of things outside of work? And, and how did you develop that confidence in, in what you knew you liked or what you thought could make a good film? I suppose ultimately I'm not very good at doing things that I don't feel passionate about. I've always been a bit like that, which is probably what led me to working in film in the first place. (laughs) I was just so drawn to the thing I loved most. And I definitely, over the years, have just kept watching so much and, and films that I wish I could have made and feel inspired by. So I think it's almost a similar instinct to what I have when I love a film is what, you know, and have enjoyed the hours I've spent watching it that I have when I'm looking at new projects and if I get that sense of excitement and I feel moved and I feel you know entertained and educated by something and and sort of surprised as well and I feel something's quite eye-opening I'll I'll be drawn to it and and feel that yes I do want to spend seven years of my life on this (laughs) or actually forever because they never really go away yeah I guess it also kind of maybe um, inspires what you choose to work on maybe a bit more strongly because you know that you're going to have to live with it for so long that it's almost going to be like this ghost that's going to haunt you you kind of want it to be a a friendly ghost (laughs) yeah exactly Exactly. slightly odd metaphor but there we go (laughs) no no but it it makes sense there's definitely yeah and people bring them up as well all the time you know and you sort of refer to them and they they just they definitely live on in the consciousness for for good or for bad (laughs) and then obviously I mean I am not a witch enjoyed massive success it was it did really well at the Biffers and the um the BAFTAs and I remember I think I was at the Biffers the year that I think Rangano was meant to be like flying over and um she couldn't make it but the room was just like really electric like I think people really wanted that film to do as well as it did and I'm wondering if it changed your career in any tangible way you know did you feel the effects of that afterwards yeah so I am not a witch definitely did I mean I suppose I've been wanting to make my first feature film for quite a few years in the run-up to that and then and sort of finally it had happened and um I suppose I was officially now a feature film producer but it was actually quite a whirlwind straight after that anyway because I was already on eye features with right. Claire Oakley's makeup And so I was sort of naturally going on to that. So things were moving really. And it was that one summer where I'm Not a Witch got financed, uh, makeup got onto eye features. And I also got the BFI Vision Award where I'd say everything really kicked off um, for the next phase of my career. And in a way, everything I'd been sort of keen to do and and grafting, like really grafting to do for probably a decade in the run up Mm. to that um, finally was, was paying off. You mentioned that, that obviously you had kind of makeup brewing while you were also developing I'm Not a Witch. And so I'm wondering, as a producer, how many projects are you kind of, well, how many plates are you spinning at any one time? How many projects are on your slate? In terms of development, because obviously, let's say like the past year, I had two films in post-production and being released. And so that was keeping me busy. But in development, I think I mean it's still evolving and I'm sort of working out my actual capacity really but I I think six projects in sort of unproduced um, active development is something I try to, to stick to. So I'm wondering um, also are, is it just you who works at Quiddity Films um, you know are you working with other people or like thinking about building out that team at all? 
Yeah, so um, essentially it's me at Credity Films and I have um, worked with a production and development assistant or production and development executive um, at points and, you know, and obviously with each production, things scale up hugely and I have my regular lawyer, accountant. And But what I think in a way what my business model is rather than growing the company is I partner with other producers on each project. So in a way that's my team, like each film is a little business and I have my business partner on that and I really love working in that way and I suppose because my slate's quite eclectic and it's also international and everything every project is so different I actually really love that I have a a sort Mm. of specific producing partner on on each one. And you mentioned there that your your slate is very eclectic and you know I was thinking that in terms of Supernova and makeup which obviously came out well we're meant to come out well makeup came out this year and Supernova is now going to be released um, next year but I'm wondering you know is there anything that unites them for you obviously they're very authored films and they have a unique vision but what for you is the thing that you notice when a script comes in and you say okay this has to be an Emily Morgan production or a Quiddity Films production? Yeah, it's hard to put my finger on exactly what my my taste is. But I think there's things that are slight, I guess, the magical and a little bit out there, but also very rooted in reality and rooted in real issues, um, real psychological issues, but that are tackling those in, yeah, in an extraordinary, strange, weird and wonderful way, I suppose. And coming back to Supernova, I saw that at LFF this year. I'm very excited for um, when it's released next year. But um, it obviously stars two big name actors in Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. And I'm wondering if that felt like a step up for you, you know, having worked on maybe smaller independent features with, you know, either non-actors or, or lesser known actors. Did that feel like a bit of a, um, you know, a, a new challenge? Yeah, the project definitely felt like a new challenge. It was just very different to everything. I'd produced before but it also very felt very comfortable because we had a bigger budget and or you know compared to what I've worked on before and I was just very lucky with with all of my collaborators on the project um that it did feel like a really comfortable enjoyable process really it was um so it was a huge step up but um in the best possible way and I'm wondering, are you like quite a calm producer when when things get like overwhelming or, you know, you feel that sense of challenge or, you you know, do, do you rise to the occasion? Like, how do you manage the stress of the job? Because there is a lot to consider when you're a producer. You're the person that's basically overseeing it all. So how do you juggle all those balls? I mean, I definitely have my moments, <laughs> which um, I suppose, again, the passion fires up occasionally. But no, I suppose... <laughs> my ideal spirit animal would be like those ducks with the legs flapping beneath the surface Um, just to not bother people with my stress too much um so yeah I I tried to hold it together but yeah there's definitely a lot of uh, (laughs) paddling going on beneath the surface and are there any other skills that you think that you've either honed over the years or you just had innately that you feel like make you a good producer knowledge and experience and I think on I'm not a witch I just wished I knew more than I did and that was a sort of constant feeling and now on later films I have taken what I did learn on that project forward and and I feel yeah more robust as a producer and and um because ultimately you want to be there to enable things and to support people Mm -hmm. and so the sort of stronger and more knowledgeable 
you feel, the better. And um, I'll never know everything. And as I said, every project's so different. And so I think also being aware that I'm constantly learning. And But no, my, I would say what helps me in my work is how my confidence has grown. And I suppose that could only really happen over time with experience and with amazing supportive mentors that I've had along mm. the way as well. And do you have any specific examples of what you wish you'd learned earlier or wish, what you wish you knew on um, the set of I Am Not A Witch? I think the main thing, as I say, it is hard to put my finger on it because until I'd gone through an entire feature film and really felt how everything clicks in, there's so many moving parts in terms of the logistical production, the creative, the pipeline further down the line, everything that's come from development the different sources of finance the legals the you know and really at the heart of it trying to enable one person's singular brilliant incredible vision for a film and then you're herding the cats that is everything that surrounds that and so it is it is an overall feeling I think of just juggling that and until you really gone through it I I don't think I'd, I couldn't have had that perspective and I'm also wondering you know how you find um, material and collaborators as a producer you know to work with and to work on and also I mean a second part to that question how you decide if that partnership is going to be a good fit you know when you started working with Claire Oakley for instance like how did you know that that was something that would you know work for both of you um, an innate click with people is definitely very important and so I think time spent together like on the you know if I'm sent a project it's only once you've really met someone and you realize that you'll both be on the same page about how to make it feeling that you could spend a lot of time together and develop a trust with someone Mm. that's what's really important and a creative vision for things you know if if you seem to click on on that then that's really important and then coming back to finding material you know is that is that just seeing what they're working on script wise or are you often looking at books to adapt you know where are you drawing from yeah I tried to read as much as I can whether it's books or scripts that are sent my way but you know as I say realistically my slate is minimal at the moment you know whether one day I grow the company I don't know but for now I don't develop many projects because I go deeper on each one that I do Um, And then if one of mine isn't going into production, I suppose also part of my small company model is that I can quite easily go off and do producer for hire work, which again, as I say, I love working with other people, other producers. So that's also a joy to do. Like last year, I was working with Lemming Film on a project there in the Netherlands um, that was shooting in Greece. And do you find the European film industry, you know, quite friendly and open in that way, you know, like eager to collaborate with each other? Yeah, definitely. I really, a huge part of what I love about my job is those relationships I have with people across the industry and we're always in touch and information sharing. And I think that's even increased over the years. Thinking about um, the pandemic and how that sort of skewered many a plans this year. Um, I know, uh, as I referenced earlier, that um, Supernova's release had to be delayed. And I'm wondering how you kind of adjusted to that, how it affected your own plans as a company. Yeah, so I felt really fortunate. In fact, counting my lucky stars that I had shot two films the year before and that they were both in post-production and that, yeah, that could continue 
albeit much more slowly, mm. um, it, it was able to continue through the pandemic. And especially I was sort of, sort of buried my head in the sand of that and going deeper in development on the projects I have on my slate initially. But then when it came to releasing, um, that's when COVID really hit home for me because it was obviously a completely different landscape. And mm. um, yeah, but fingers crossed for next year. And has it altered the way you work at all? Like, are there any practices that you think you might kind of actually maintain and move forward with once we're out of the woods? I mean, as much as all the Zooming can get exhausting, I do think it has, because especially as a producer, you always have to go around to other people in a way, I think, or, or you're just always out and about, actually, as an independent like producer like me without an office space, is what I mean. And so actually, it saved probably a lot of time being on Zoom. And at the beginning of the year, I was back and forth from Amsterdam a lot and then suddenly I just locked down in one place. So, yeah, I definitely have saved um, money and time on not travelling about so much for meetings, mm. which I should take forward, really. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely been, yeah, the, probably a big learning for a lot of people is that, I don't know, we just kind of assumed that that's what you had to do, you know, because it was how we'd always done it. And I think now people are more open to maybe probably a hybrid approach moving forward. Um, and then I'm wondering moving forward, whether you have any particular ambitions or like things that you want to produce or, you know, stories that you want to tell. Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, the six projects on my slate that I really hope are going to gear up to production over the coming years. Although, you know, I'm realistic that things take time. And I definitely, I think I'm very driven. And I, I always was to an extent, but, you know, maybe one of the, the big things I've realized throughout my career is that it's the process has to be enjoyable mm. any end results are all very well but actually ultimately an award or whatever can be quite fleeting and in terms of one's quality of life the process really should be should be great as well even enjoying being in development as impatient as I can feel about getting things into production and um, each project has its its own path really and always gets made at the best possible time for it in the end I think and how do you go about making that process as enjoyable as possible? Like, is there anything, you know, active or tangible you do? Or is it just about, you know, as you said, like trying to stay present in the moment and not, you know, thinking too far ahead or, or trying to rush it to the next stage before it's ready? I think always having a clear view on the route to production can help avoid frustration on all parts, really. Mm. Yeah, that that feels like a key thing to have in mind and not just developing for the sake of development, but keep coming back to like, what is the root of this project and, and where are we taking it? And yeah, trust and communication is important. I'm a big one for just talking when anything feels amiss um, mm. with, with one's collaborators and not letting any issues or build up really, but before just having a proper conversation about things. Absolutely. And then finally, what is a film from a woman director that you think is a bit of a hidden gem that maybe you wish more people had seen? I've actually got two because I, it's not hidden, thankfully, because it's such a brilliant film. But I really love um, Baby Teeth or that. That really blew me away on many levels. And um, more of a hidden gem, although it did, you know, it did have a good, a good quite a good airing, was a, a film called The Fits. Um, yes. that I thought was a brilliant film and also, you know, admirable in terms of how it was made. And it was through the 
Biennale College Cinema, which is, you know, is really quite a low budget to be working with, but they mm-hmm. made a virtue of that with the contained location. And I think in terms of an exploration of sort of mass hysteria within a, a group of girls, it, it did what actually much broader, bigger films it sort of did it, did it really well. Yeah, really, really brilliant film. I love that. Yeah, likewise with Baby Teeth, actually, one of my favourite films of this year. So, Emily, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, well, thanks a million. And I just have such huge admiration for this podcast. And yeah, long may it last. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're interested in producing, I also recommend listening to my interviews with Sarah Brocklehurst, Rosie Creer and Kiara Barry, Lauren Dunn, Helen Simmons, Catherine Slater, Georgia Goggin and Emma's Duffy and Norton. In the meantime, take care and I will be back in 2021.